First things first. Even the title of this sermon series appeals to me because my personality type needs to have things in order. I like to know the order of things. I feel safe within that order. And so over the past three weeks, we have been looking at the important things that help us to get first things first. We looked at Micah 6. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And then Brendan looked at um, Matthew 6 when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God. And then last week, Ross looked at 1 Peter 3, 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. So where to this morning? We are going to explore wholehearted living. When we live wholeheartedly, we live generously. When we live generously, we can forgive generously and love generously. Wholehearted living is living with a posture of generosity toward God and towards others. Wholehearted living seeks first the kingdom of God. Wholehearted living acts justly and loves mercy and walks humbly. So where are we going? We're going to go to Proverbs 3, 1 to 12. This is a proverb of King Solomon. King Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived. He asked God for wisdom to rule his people, and they recognized that his wisdom was divine. 1 Kings 4.32 says that Solomon had 3,000 proverbs to his name. These proverbs were a reflection of the wisdom that he had gathered throughout his life. So we're going to look at the advice that he gives us, Proverbs 3, 1 to 12. We'll come back to this passage throughout the morning. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father the son he delights in. So we're going to start with verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. King Solomon doesn't say, trust in the Lord with all your intellect or all your knowledge or trust in the Lord with your thinking, but with your heart 
and with your passion and with your love. King Solomon ruled Israel from 970 to 931 BC, more than 900 years before Jesus came to earth. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he answers by quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Let's have a look at Mark 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked of him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus put the heart first and then the soul, and then the mind, and then the strength. Jesus' love was love in action. Our actions are more often impacted by what we love than what we know. Right near the end of our Bibles, in the book of James, James puts it this way. What good is it for you to say you have faith if it doesn't show itself by what you do? You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We need to act on what we believe so that God can be seen in us and glory can go to him by what we do. In recent weeks, we've talked about the Afghani people and the plight that's happening overseas at the moment. In the last few weeks, we've opened the doors of the church and filled out hundreds of visa applications for the families and friends of people who live in our community. Over this time, a young lady named Shabnam was selling things on social media. One of the ladies from our church was one of the people who bought those things, and so Shabnam delivered them to Hanalee's house. Hanali got talking to Shabnam and she was distressed about her family in Afghanistan. And Hanali suggested that she come to the church here because people were doing something about it. And so she came to our church for help. We recorded a message from Shabnam to you and we're going to play that now. Hi, my name is Shabnam. I've been to the church. Uh, today's my second day. Um, I'm amazed for the support and the care that I've got from everyone here. I, I'm just mind-blowing. Um, I'm really thankful to everyone here that has helped us to, to be able to bring our families here, even though if it's, uh, if it's something that gives us hope, uh, it's, it's the biggest thing. I cannot thank everyone enough for the help they are providing uh, with the forms. Um, thank you. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone. What did James say? Faith without deeds is dead. Shabnam's family is in need. We can't go overseas and we can't get them and neither can she. We can pray for them and we can fill in forms. We can use our gifts and our abilities and we can steward our resources to help those around us who are in need. James also says that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, 
to look after orphans and widows in distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You may wonder this morning, what does God want you to do? Start with whoever or whatever is in front of you. Ask for an opportunity, and when the opportunity arises, act. Let's go back to our proverb. We're going to do verses 3 and 4. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. I really like the way the message puts it. It says this, Don't lose a grip on love and loyalty. Tie them around your neck. Carve their initials on your heart. Earn a reputation for living well in God's eyes and in the eyes of people. The idea of carving initials on hearts reminds me of lovers carving initials on trees. It's permanent and it's an obvious action. Love and loyalty is what the NIV says. Love and faithfulness. Love and loyalty is the message. Love and faithfulness is the NIV, sorry. These attributes, love and faithfulness, are fruit of the Spirit. They are evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. They are verbs. You cannot measure love and faithfulness by knowledge in Jesus, not knowledge alone. It has to be displayed in action. Knowledge is important, but we can have all the knowledge that's available to mankind and not be impacted and not impact others. Knowing God's word, memorising scripture, studying the Bible, these are wonderful things, but if they do not lead us to action, then they are useless. Let's listen to what the Amplified Version says in 1 Corinthians 8. Knowledge alone makes people self-righteously arrogant, but love that unselfishly seeks the best for others builds up and encourages others in wisdom. I love the Amplified Version sometimes. Other times it makes readings very long. People are moved by love in actions. They are drawn to God through love in action, through faithfulness and through loyalty. If we say we are followers of Jesus, if we believe that he was and he is the Son of God and our Saviour, then we need to live like it. We need to love like Jesus. We need to forgive like Jesus did. We need to live generously and wholeheartedly. So what does it mean to live wholeheartedly? How do we live a generous life? How can we live and love and forgive like Jesus did? First, we must learn what it means to repent generously. When we have done something wrong, we are called to repent. Not just the shallow, sulky sorry that we can extract from a child when they have done something wrong but generous, wholehearted repentance. And not just to God, but to those whom we have wronged. Generous repentance warms the soul of both the repentee and the repenter. When we fully repent, we are free to be generously forgiven. Forgiving generously is the spin-off. It's a gift that when that someone apologises to us, we can give that generous uh, forgiveness because we know that we have been forgiven generously. 
Generous repentance clears the heart and mind of guilt and shame and pain and it allows the Spirit of God to wash over us. Generous repentance heals relationships and it brings renewal to everyone concerned. To live a generous life, we also need to be generous stewards and generous givers. We are called to steward what God has given us generously, not stingily and not half-heartedly. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The first step to becoming truly generous is to recognise that everything already belongs to God and we are only stewards. Looking after what he has entrusted to us for our care. As good stewards, we need to use the resources entrusted to us to care for others and to use them for his purposes. The blessings that God entrusts us with are not just for our benefit. The blessings of God reach their full potential benefit when we pass them on to others. We are not called to be buckets. We are not called just to be filled with everything that God has done for us and everything he has blessed us with. What we are called to be is conduits, funneling what God has done for us to those around us. If we want to be filled with God's Holy Spirit, then we have to be faithful with that. We have to do what he has asked us to do. We have to live like he has asked us to live, not like buckets, but like conduits. If we pass on God's blessings, then he will continue to bless us because we are trustworthy with what he has entrusted us. If God's blessings stop with us, then what good are they in helping others to see his goodness? Proverbs 21.26 says, Give without expecting return. Some people are always greedy for more, but not the godly. They love to give. When we give, we're not actually giving to God. What we are doing is using the resources God has entrusted us with for the kingdom of God. Luke 12, 48, Jesus was talking to his disciples and telling a parable, and he finishes the parable by saying this, from everyone who has been given much much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. When Brendan spoke about the kingdom of God and seeking it first, this is a way we can do it. Using the resources that we have been entrusted with for the kingdom of God and not simply for our own benefits. We are called to give and to give generously. As we are blessed, we bless others. God showed us this concept way back in Genesis 12 when he first spoke to Abraham about being a blessing. This is what he said. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God brought Jesus into the world through the line of Abraham. Jesus was and is the ultimate blessing. And when we know him, we have life and we have life to the full. There is nothing more appealing than that, life to the full. So what does King Solomon say about generosity? Honour the Lord with your wealth, 
with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filling to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. The wisest man, the wealthiest man, his advice to us is to honour God with our wealth and to bring the first fruits to God and to receive his blessing. All that we have comes from God. Wholehearted living remembers that. Wholehearted living puts God first and it stewards what he has given us and uses it to build up the kingdom of God. When we put God first, we can live generously. We can generously repent. We can generously forgive. We can steward what he has given us generously. Our generosity can empower others. Generosity to the needy. Investing generously in the kingdom of God. But what's the flip side of generosity and wholeheartedness? Let me suggest that it's half-heartedness, complacency, laziness and indifference. And these postures are not hard to find. They are everywhere. And I'm ashamed to admit that there are times that I have been half-hearted, complacent, lazy and indifferent. How about you? The last book of our Bible, Revelations, God is speaking to the church in Laodicea. And this is what he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Ouch. That's a warning, isn't it? It's a warning for us. If we want to live in passionate pursuit of Jesus... I cannot be half-hearted. I cannot be lukewarm. C.S. Lewis, the famous author, is quoted as saying this, Christianity, if it's false, is of no importance. If it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. We sin when we treat our faith as moderately important. So how can we avoid living half-heartedly? We need to give our faith time and energy. We need to invest in our relationship with God. Prayer. Let's ask God to help us keep wholeheartedly seeking him. In Bible reading, let's commit to reading and learning from our Bibles. Learning scripture by heart. I love this one. I'm not terribly good at it, but it's really good for us to know scripture by heart. And can I suggest the practice of joy? The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Satan loves to steal our joy. He loves to make us weak. Joy is something that the Spirit of God desires for us. In fact, Joy is also a fruit of the Spirit. It's evidence of the Spirit of God. There is joy found in relationships with others, in serving others, in watching what God is doing in the lives of others, in the baptisms that we have been witnessing. There is joy in worship. There is joy in living with generosity. I gain so much from the generosity of others from watching others grow and develop in their faith and learning to serve God wholeheartedly. For me, 
This morning, there's great joy in watching Matt lead communion, seeing him grow in his walk with God and to serve and serving God wholeheartedly. There is joy as I watch our church community help meet the needs of those around us. That brings me great joy. So let's seek first the kingdom of God. Let's do justly. Let's love mercy. Let's walk humbly with our God. Let's trust in the Lord with all our heart and let's give him the first fruits and let's live with joy. Let's serve our community and show them what the generosity of God looks like in all its fullness. Living with generosity shows the world the generous love of God who is desperate to have a relationship with all of us. Let's pray. Father God, please fill us with your joy, not so that we can be buckets, but so that we can be conduits, so that we can pass to the dying world your love and your care. Father, a relationship with you that brings life and it brings healing. We just thank you, Father, that you have given us all we need in Christ Jesus to serve you and to honour you. Because it's in his name we pray. Amen.